You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Let's, uh, let's look at Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, I am going to sort of camp right here for just a little bit today in the first 10 verses. I've already talked to you about three aspects of a good life or a successful life. Um, and uh, I'm going to rehearse those to you real quick here. And then I'm going to give you three more today as well. Um, the thing about Proverbs is very challenging for me because you, those of, now those who are regulars in Life Church, they know their pastors really well. Uh, we're very transparent and very straightforward and, and, and very honest about our own selves uh, quite a bit, as much as we, we, we can practically be. Uh, we try hard to be, okay? Uh, and here's the deal. I know that I just pack a whole lot of stuff into a sermon. You know, I just give you a ton of stuff. And, and there's a point where some of you are just going, oh, you're like a little kid. No, don't give me any more. I don't want any more. You know? And I, I see that on your faces. I see the reaction, so I know. You know? And um, so then I, tr- I try to pull back at that point. But, you know, some have said that it's just, it's just like opening a fire hydrant and sticking your face right in it, you know, and it's just like, you just, you just get it. So... In this summer series, I'm trying really hard not to do that to you, okay? I'm trying to keep it simple because there's a lot of very practical things here, and I really would like for you to be able to take two or three things and walk out of here and in the week just sort of let them roll around in your thought process so that you can really think about not only what I've given you, but how to make the application in your own life. How to really bring it over and apply it to the day-to-day routine that you are living. So I'm hoping that you're, you're able to really, really personalize uh, some of the things that I'm giving you. Dave and I both know that we give you a whole lot, and we also know that uh, a lot of Christians uh, just take home a nugget or two of the things that are in a sermon. The amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit can give you just what you need. I am dumbfounded on occasions when I have preached my heart out up here and preached a sermon that I thought was pretty good. You know, I thought, I did all right today, and the Holy Spirit did great. Well, the Holy Spirit did spectacular because someone will walk up and say, Pastor, this is what the Lord gave me today. It had nothing to do with my sermon. It was as far away from it as the moon is from the earth. But the Holy Spirit knew what they needed, spoke to them. They got what they needed. So praise the Lord. Today, I hope you leave with something that you can really utilize. So with that, let's look at chapter 3 again of Proverbs. Trusting in the Lord with your heart giving yourself to God, obedience. These, are, these are, are big, big things here. So let's begin again at verse 1. I want to rehearse those first 10 verses to you again here a little bit, all right? Actually, I'll go through verse 12. Uh, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, 
Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. As we said last Sunday, this is a wonderful, wonderful sort of dynamic going on here of Solomon speaking to his sons. And the idea, I think, here that we need to kind of grab a hold of is that this is the same way that our Heavenly Father works with us. He speaks life to us. He, he gives us uh, truth. He gives us impressions. He gives us thoughts and understanding and revelation. But the key here is that not only do we hear these things from the Lord, just like we would hear them from an earthly father, but that we actually put them into practice, that we actually are living lives of obedience, that we really are saying, you know what, God, you're right. This is good. This is good for me. This is good for my soul. This is good for my body. This is good for my spirit. And I need to be obedient to you. And I think one of the key prayers in this series is not just, Lord, help me to be more wise, but it is, Lord, help me to be obedient to the wisdom that you're giving. And that's the key. Because we can talk about it all day, and we can amen it and not affirmatively and all those kinds of things. But if we walk out of here and we're not really applying the truths that we get, we're still empty. We're, we're still undone in a sense. We're ill-equipped at best. And our goal here in Life Church is to disciple you. That means we're going to equip you. We're going to give you those things that will help you. We certainly want to do that in the spiritual context. We want to be able to talk about deep, uh, rich, theological nuggets, you know. We want to be able to talk to you about history and, and the church and all those kinds of things. But folks, there are some things that you just need every day that are very practical, that are the Bible is rich in them. The Bible is full of them. And so we're trying to give you those throughout the summer so that you are able to live as a wise man or a wise woman in a very crooked and very perverse world, all right? And so if you're, if you're living in that straight path, all right, you'll live a life that is rich and full and prosperous. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to have a lot of money and get everything you want and do whatever you will. It means that you will have a life in which your soul prospers to such a magnitude that you can be generous with yourself in the light of other people and be able to make a difference and have an impact and influence in the lives of others. And that's what we want you to do. We want you to be able to say, you know what, at the end of the day, God, I'm just a little bit like Jesus. I said what you said today. I did what you told me to do today. And someone's life was impacted and changed because of that. And I want you to be able to do that. I want you to wake up and realize that, hey, you know what? This is a day for opportunity. And when that opportunity comes within that given day, that you can confidently say, I got it, God, because I'm prepared. I'm ready. I can do this. And that your life is rich that way with great confidence, great spiritual confidence that you can do something for God. It's a sad day when we know that God has brought an opportunity our way or allowed us to intersect with someone's life and we realize that we could have been way more prepared and ready to make a difference or make an impact in that person's life. I, I want you to be a vessel of honor and one that is filled with the Spirit of God and it is able to be wise and knowledgeable. All right? Wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. All right? So with that, let's look at this 
this idea that's in, in this particular chapter about a good life, all right? Having a good life, living a good life. Then one of my, I said last week, it's one of my favorite phrases. I almost wore my T-shirt today, folks. I, 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 I had it out. I almost put it on. And then I was like, nah, I better dress up for church, you know. But, but I love this idea of a good life, but not as the world sees it. I think a good life is a life that knows a good God and can say, regardless of circumstances and situations, God is good. And so I want you to live that kind of life. And so we talked about that a little bit last week, and we said one of the keys um, for, for a good life is a life that is long and peaceful. And we saw that in the first three verses there, this idea of, of not forgetting the teachings that we have been given, not missing the commandments, but having them in our heart, because they will add length of life to us. They will add days, it says, to our life, and they will add peace to our lives. I'll tell you what, a lot of people who die early die because they're stressed and filled with anxiety over this life that they've created for themselves, that they're living outside of God. And I want to challenge you that you step back and let the peace of God that passes understanding capture you and that you're able to live wisely before God. Not only that, that you obey your father and your mother. Not only your earthly father and mother, but those who are spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers in your life. That you are living in obedience to the life that they are laying out and imparting to you. And because you do that and you honor those in the faith, your life will be extended, the Bible says. All right, Diet is good. Exercise is good. All these things are important. But uh, that alone is not what saves you. That alone is not what gives you the full and rich life that is in Jesus Christ. And you want that, you find it only in Him. He is the answer for that. So we want to honor God. We want to obey Him. We want to fulfill His word in our lives. And that will give us this long, peaceful life, all right? But then we went a little bit further, and we talked a little bit about popularity, you know? And that's what we find um, in the the next verses, verse 3 and 4, says... Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. In other words, don't let it get away from you. Don't let it get too far away. Bind it around your neck. Wear it, all right? Wear this steadfast love. Wear this faithfulness. Let it be the adornment of your life. Don't worry about how you look so much in the eyes of the world. Worry about the attraction that you are creating for people to see God through you. I'm going to be honest with you, folks. It's summertime. Summertime is great, and I know that some of you were born up here, and, and, and you get hot real easily, and, and I don't get it, but that's okay. I understand, all right? I was born in the South. I just don't get hot easy. Long sleeve shirts are great for me, you know? But I'm going to tell you what. Even Christians, we need to be aware of how we dress and how we adorn ourselves and how we present ourselves and the look that we give off to other people, all right? What, what is the attraction that you are carrying? What have you created to make you attractive? And why? And should not others see Christ in you? Should not others see your life and see the adornment of your life, the things that you, you decorate yourself with, all right? <laughs> should that not bring someone to think of Jesus? And so I would, I would challenge you and I, all of us, you know, that when we look in the mirror in the morning, we just ask ourselves, okay, what's everybody going to see when they see this? 
What's, what, what am I conveying? What am I portraying? What is, what is that that is appealing about me today? And if it's sensual, go back and take a shower and start over. All right? Live and dress and behave in such a way that the adornment of your life is that of holiness and faithfulness and steadfast love. All right? And that comes as you, as you live your life in the context of Christian love with those around you. That's, that's what's going to make the difference. All right? So you want to be popular? This, this is what it says. All right? You'll find favor. You'll find good success, not only in the sight of God, but of man. You want to be well thought of? Live your life in purity and righteousness and steadfast love. Okay? And then we went on beyond there and we talked a little bit about uh, the key to being sort of successful in, in your ventures, in, in uh, the things that you seek to accomplish, the things that you set out to do with your life. And we saw that in verse 5 and 6, that it says to trust in the Lord with your heart, all your heart, okay? Trust in the Lord and, uh, and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll straighten your path out. You know what? That, that, that word there for, for straightening your path out of that, that little phrase, it means making it flat and level so it's easy to walk on. All right? And that's the way it should be with God. God. If God's directing you, He will make a way. Where there isn't even a way, He makes a way. All right? He makes the path level for you so that you can walk it out. All right? And, and it's amazing how sometimes we as believers, sometimes we will take a hard path just because we want something so bad. And we'll take a hard path to get it. And I think sometimes we need to really look at that when it's that challenging and that difficult to do. Now, sometimes God will ask you to do the hard things. But in the hard thing, His grace is sufficient and His strength is there to help you to, to do it, to be successful in it. But sometimes we just, we, we want to go after something so badly. We want it so much that what happens is we fail to acknowledge Him in our ways. All right? We talked a good bit about that last week. All right? So the next thing that we're brought to is an idea about good health and good lifestyle. And that's in verses 7 and 8. So let's look at those this morning. Um, it says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. All right? Fear the Lord. Remember, that's the key phrase that we've seen throughout all of the chapters that we've looked at in Proverbs so far. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. It just keeps coming up over and over again. All right, so we fear the Lord, and it's, it says here that it is healing to our flesh. It is refreshment to our bones. In other words, it has a direct physical effect on our lives. It makes a difference for us, okay? And so I don't want you to underestimate some very harmful effects of life on earth, the level of anxiety and, and the level of, of worry and fretting that goes on in, in the world is crazy, all right? Let me, let me turn you over to uh, Psalm chapter 32. Just, just turn, you're, you're right close there, Psalm 32. Listen to these words from David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit, no, no lying, no, none of that kind of stuff. Okay? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then he goes on to talk about the refreshing of that repentance. Folks, there's something amazing about living right before God. There's something tremendous about just being able to live outside of condemnation and guilt and shame. It's really good when you can go to bed at night and you can pray and say, God, thank you. Thank you for a day where I I feel as though I did well. Thank you for a day that, that I didn't feel guilt and shame and condemnation because I was choosing to live in sin and in, in rebellion and in disobedience. It's amazing when we have the peace of God that passes understanding in our lives. Because it will, it will help us. It, it will change us. It's, it's a proven fact that, that guilt alone is a major cause of anxiety. And it can have adverse effects on the human physical body. Guilt. Where does that come from? From sin. And so if you want to be free of some of that kind of stuff, then the key is to live in this obedience, not being arrogant, but fearing the Lord and departing from evil. It's amazing how many people come in. And we're, we're terrible about this, folks. And here's one of the reasons why. We don't have this fear of the Lord that is spoken of in these passages. This is, this is the, the part of Proverbs that is so uh, huge because it's so freeing, that is, to get the fear of the Lord, to get the ability to fear God so deeply within our soul and our spirit that we can say no to sin. And here's what's problematic, is in the church today, we've been given this concept of a very greasy kind of grace, one that allows you to be quite slippery, all right? But the problem with a slippery grace is that you continue to feel the guilt and the weight of the sin that is besetting you. You can't shake it. You can't get rid of it. You can't run from it. Here's the thing about your sin. It goes with you. It accompanies you everywhere you go. It'll wake you up in the night and remind you that it's there. It'll keep you from going to sleep. It'll stop you from having relationship with other people. Your guilt will cause you to cross the street when you see certain people coming so that you don't have to talk to them because they're going to ask you about your life and you know that. And you know you don't have a good report. Something really wonderful about being able to stand before God and though you're human and you know you're going to fail and we all have sin... We we say we don't, we lie. But there's something about being able to stand before God and saying, God, by your grace, I'm living out my repentance and my salvation. And though I may fall, God, as the Proverbs tells me, I will get up. 
every time. I will get up again and again and again. And there's something refreshing about being able to do that and to come before God with a clean heart and pure hands, or clean hands and a pure heart. That's how you ascend the hill of the Lord. That's how you get into his presence. So I want to challenge you and I today to a life of sanctification. I want you and I over these summer months to begin to evaluate our lifestyle. You say, well, Pastor, you make it sound like I'm just a wretched heathen. No, that's not what I'm saying. I, I, I almost, it's easier to deal with a wretched heathen, folks. They know they're a sinner. And their sins are big. Everybody knows they're a sinner. It's not a problem. All right? They'll acknowledge it to you. It's we Christians who have those secret little sins. Those things that we've, we've bedded down with, so to speak, and we've gotten very comfortable with them. And they're just attachments. They're adornments to our life. They're the bracelets and the rings and the necklaces and the slippers that we wear when we cuddle in and get ready to be comfy. They don't, they don't cause us anguish. They don't create any kind of disarray. They, they don't put any angst inside of us anymore because we've gotten very comfortable with them. And I'm saying to you, how about we as a church, Life Church, take the rest of this summer and begin to go before God. And that familiar request I've asked of you often is, Father, show me my present level of deception. Show me where I'm really at. This is what David did. Search my heart, O God. Show me, let me see any wicked way within me. And let me deal with that. And of course, the promise there is one of restoration and renewal and and coming alive in Christ. Because these things are put down and we are moved closer to God. There's, there's tremendous ill effects to sin, folks. Stuff, stuff that you, you and I both know about. People get liver problems and stuff like that from drunkenness. You get STDs from fornication and all these kinds of things, all right? We just need to, we need to fear God and depart from evil. And our lives will be better. I, I spoke with someone this week, and, 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 and an older person, uh, older than me, and, and, and he said, my wife informed me that, that, that there was a point. She said, I may have an STD. And he was like, what did you just say to me? I don't have one. <laughs> it was her way of confessing to something. That's horrible, traumatic, devastating. But it had to be confessed because it was found out. Folks, let's let's not have to be found out. Let's just confess. Let's just say, God, I need a good, healthy dose of fear of you. The right, healthy, good kind of fear. And I need to walk that out. And not only... An understanding of your sin, folks, and a a confession of that sin. But ask God to give you the strategic way out of that sin. What is it that I need to do in order that I don't continue 
to, to do, commit this same type of sin over and over again? How do I break the cycle of the sin? And I'm telling you, I believe that God will give you the strategy. I believe that God will give you the direction and the way out of that. You say, you don't, you don't understand, Pastor. I've, I've had this for so long, and my heart is so cold and indifferent and hard and whatever. The Bible says that God will take the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's a promise of God. I, I won't buy that. I won't buy, that's an excuse to continue to sin. That's our heart saying, you know what? I love my sin so much, I don't think I can give it up. And that's a dangerous place for us as Christians to live. And so I want to challenge you today that you, you begin to, to see that, that God's intent for you is a life filled with good health and, and, and wholeness and, and completion. You, you don't need to be all fragmented by sin and deception and evil going on in your life. It's very hard to keep all that together, folks. It causes a lot of stress and it causes a lot of anxiety. And with that can come many diseases. But we, we need to be ready. Let me take you to Proverbs chapter 14. Just turn over there quick. Chapter 14. Look at verse 27. I love this scripture. Why do we need the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. What are the snares of death? The snares of sin. Sin brings death. All right? The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. This is what we got to come back. This, the whole of this summer series is to bring to you this healthy sense of the fear of God. I don't want you to be living your life afraid. That's not what we're talking about. God is not up there ready to, you know, oh, you sin, you know, blot you out, done with you. That is not our God. But our God is a God that judges. And He is a God of law and order. And there are laws in this universe that He set up from the foundation, from creation. And even He doesn't break them. And in His sovereignty, He commands that we live in that context of His creation. And He is capable of judging rightly. And that, folks, should cause us to tremble and bow and fall before a holy and awesome God. And sometimes we're just not there. And I want to challenge you in that. I want to challenge you that you, you move to that place. I believe it will give you an extended life. I believe it will make a difference in your physical health and well-being. It will certainly make a difference in your spiritual health and well-being. So I really, really, really want to challenge you that you begin to develop this fear of the Lord over these summer months. And, and folks, here's, here's the, the, the thing. You, you don't have to bring your sin to me. You don't have to bring it to Pastor Dave. You just need to bring it before Jesus. You just, you just need to get it taken care of. You, you just need to walk out of here today and say, you know what, I'm done with it. God, by your grace, I'm done with it. Now, help me. 
prove yourself faithful to help me to overcome. And if he tells you that there is someone that he's putting in your life to help you, then you need to be in the spirit of confession and go to that person and confess your sins one to another, pray for each other that you can be healed, and then begin to move forward and renounce that old habit and that old sin pattern and, and, and start to move forward and find a couple of people in your life who you can be accountable to, who you know are going to love you regardless of what you've ever said or done or thought. And, and in that place of confession, build around you this protective environment that will allow you to live consistently outside of that sin. That's called victory. And that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for all of us as His people. All right? So I want you to be holy unto the Lord. And here's the funny thing. I think some Christians take like spiritual vacations in the summer. Well, I know they do because they don't come to church. So that's one thing. All right? Uh, well, if you don't come to church and you're not plugged into your family and your accountability and where the truth is flowing, you're very likely to go in a different direction. So, don't take that spiritual vacation that says, I can be laxed and I can, you know, do a little bit more of some of these things that are on the, on the line, so to speak. Guys, I'm not telling you that you can't go out on a fishing trip, not that Pastor Dave would do this now, okay? It's not about Pastor Dave. Please understand that. And, and have a beer with your buddies, all right? I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm not recommending to you to do that, all right? But I'm not going to get legalistic here about something like that. But I'm going to tell you something. You need to be careful about where the line is. And you need to be careful about the words that are coming out of your mouth and the talk that is going on and the conversation that is happening around you. You need to be careful about the kinds of things that that could lead to. And, and you've got to understand that there isn't a vacation from stewardship of your life. There isn't a vacation from holiness and righteousness and that sort of thing. So, so this isn't us standing up here, your pastors, and saying, Oh, you can't have a good time and you can't do anything and, and you can't enjoy something with some of your friends in the world. We're not telling you that. We're not going to be legalistic about that. We'll tell you if we think it's a bad idea. We'll tell you for sure if we think it's a sin. But, but we're concerned about who you are outside of here. Because that's really who you are. You're only as holy as you are in the most secret place in your life where no one knows anything about what you're doing or thinking. That's only as holy as you are. And my prayer for you is that you are as holy there as you appear to be in here. And if you are, you will live a good life, full and rich and prosperous and generous, and you'll make a difference and you'll have impact and you'll be able to sleep at night Hopefully, um, storms are an exception to the rule. And dogs. <clears throat> Let's move on. Another key to a good life, folks, is um, being prosperous. Having that prosperous soul. Being prosperous. And, and I think that the writer addresses that here in a really, really wonderful way. 
And so let's, let's look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And I know what some of you are going to do right now is you're going to say, well, that excludes me. I'm not wealthy, Pastor. If you're sitting in this room today and awake, my friend, based on the rest of the world, you are filthy rich. You got so much. All right? Based on the world that, we, that, that uh, Susan prayed about earlier and other parts of the world, based on the, the slums I'm going to in Brazil in a week and a half, you are wealthy. You are extremely, extremely wealthy people, all right? And he says here in this passage, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And you say, well, that's, I'm out. I'm not a farmer. You're not out. God has given you the ability to, to work and to achieve and to make a living and, and, and have sense. He's, he's provided for you opportunity for education and those kinds of things. Whatever you are doing that is allowing you to receive blessing from God, He intends for you to return some of that to Him in some way or some form. All right? So you are to honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In other words, you'll have abundance. You'll have more than you need. I would say that probably 95% of you people in here have more than you need. I know you don't have more than you want. I understand that. But that's the problem is you want more than you need. And you may want more than God even intended for you to have. Well, then why did he give me so much? So you could give it away. That's why. Because that's how God is. He's generous for God so loved the world that he gave, what? Everything, his only son, to die for your sins so that you could be saved. We're talking about a God who, who, who at, the, at the core of his existence is a generous and giving God. And so I want to challenge you that you model your life like him and begin to look at this thing called prosperity and begin to own the reality that you're there, that you are a prosperous person, that you are a wealthy person, if you will. All right? I believe that God is calling us to be givers. You go, here he goes. I knew sooner or later in this church, someday he would start talking about giving. We don't talk about tithing, but we talk about giving. And I'll be honest with all of you, if you really want the easier sermon for you to swallow, you should probably ask us to talk about tithing, because that's only 10%. We're going to talk about giving. That's everything. And that's way more costly. And that's what God will ask you for. God will ask you for that 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 is costly. Now, let's just get convicted a little bit here, okay? Let's, let's, just, let's just get convicted. Uh, if you want to turn with me, you could turn in your Bible to uh, uh, Malachi chapter 3. Do we have that? Okay, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Yeah, can you throw that up on the screen? All right, let's just get convicted for a few minutes. Will man rob God? What a question. And, and, and initially we would all say, well, no, of course we would not want to rob God. Yet, you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? 
in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He's talking to Israel. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. There is something powerful about putting God first. All right? I, I love this particular passage. It is very convicting to me. Sometimes I just need to go read this passage when I'm holding tight onto my possessions. I need to read it again and again. So that it allows me to, you know, it's like when I am reading this, I, it's like I almost can feel like God is going, come on, let go of it. You just, you've got to let go because if you do, you'll get so much more. Because I'll put so much more into your life if you will let go and give to me. And he starts out by this whole dialogue, this, this, this sort of rhetorical question, would a man rob God? Well, well, yeah, well, you are. That's what you're doing when you're withholding from me. You're robbing me because it's mine and you're taking it. Don't you understand? If you'll give to me, here's what I'll do. I'll give back to you and you'll be so blessed that others will see that blessing. Nations will say, you're blessed. And you will have delight. There's two things that God wants to do. He wants to bless you so that you can bless others. And then he wants to make others aware of that opportunity. He he wants us to be a blessing. And that's why he gives to us. And he's trying to to get it straightened out here because we've we've made it crooked. We've put our sinful bent on it. And he's saying, if you just understand, if you just give, then I can give to you. And, and the more you withhold, the more it freezes up. It ties up my hands so that I can't do as much as I would like to. And, and if you'll just give more, then I'm able to do more in terms of blessing you, which allows you to be a testimony, a witness. Let me, let me put that in, in terms that maybe we can see and understand a little bit better. If you were trying to, to, to figure out what would be a great lifestyle to live, and you see a guy over here, and he's got a lot, but he's really holding on to it, and he's covering it, and he's keeping it all to himself, and you're looking at that and going, wow, he's got so much. I'd like to be like that. I'd like to have a lot. I'd like to have so much that I'm having trouble holding on to all of it and keeping it all. Or there's a guy over here, and he's like, He's got so much, and he's trying to hold it. He's giving it out, and there's just more coming. And so he's got this balancing act going on because there's just so much. He's so blessed, and everyone's looking at him going, Whoa, look at that. There's nothing coming in over there except his own labor, his own strength, his own ability. He's doing it. And yeah, he got something. But this man is just giving it away, and he's still getting more. 
Because God is blessing him. And God is, by the Spirit, quickening people's eyes to be open to look what happens when you follow God. And we as a church, unfortunately, have had a really poor testimony of our wealth. Because many of us have kept it for ourselves. Or we've kept it in the context of the church and not been willing to open the church and go out and share this wealth that we have. I'm not talking just about money. Please understand that. I'm talking about all of our gifts that we must be stewarding for God. We're going to have to hurry here and and move on. Um, I I think that this is one of the, the, the really, really key areas uh, so if you just give me a couple more minutes here, let, let, me, let me try to bring this home a little bit more, okay? Um, when, when God is not first, it changes the dynamics of our relationship dramatically. God has got to be first, all right? It, that's, just, that's the way it works, all right? Go to Haggai chapter 1, um, starting with verse 6. We'll put that up on the screen for you. You have sown much, harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink, but you you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is like a warning, a challenge. Consider your ways here, he says. Consider your ways. Go up on the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Wow. Wow. Before I I go further into this, let me say this to you. Life Church, you're phenomenal. This church, financially, is at a marvelous place. You give. We don't preach the tithe, the 10% here. We preach giving. We preach giving sacrificially, and we preach giving cheerfully. And there are many, many of you in here who give above and beyond a tithe. And in the discipleship process, some of you are already talking about a 20% or or something like that. You're you're talking beyond... uh, Some of you are talking about just giving a a commitment weekly or or monthly to some of the the various ministries of our church where you're just giving money into that in particular on an ongoing basis. You're reading the materials and you're you're hearing it. And I think the Spirit of God is speaking to you. And Life Church is in a good place financially. So so this this isn't a message to to hit you with something about your giving into Life Church. I want you to just understand that, that God has a priority and His intent is that, that your heart is right and that before you 
look at yourself and what you want. Simply look at God and what He might want. And ask Him what you might do with the resources that you have. What, what, can, you, what can you simplify? What can you let go of? What can you live without? What are the things I can do? that will allow me to be more generous to the kingdom of God and the house of God. What can we do as Life Church? You've done an unbelievable uh, thing in that you brought water to an entire village in South Africa, in Swaziland. That's an amazing thing that, that a couple of churches would get together and be able to do this. But you did it. You did it because you put your hearts together and your resources together. And, and there's something about being able to do something like that together because what we can do together is way more than what any one of us can do alone. But the beauty here is that we, we did ask you specifically to fast and to pray and to give sacrificially. And some of you, some of you gave thousands of dollars that were indeed a sacrifice for you. And I've already seen God blessing some of you in that respect. All right? But the beauty here is, is that we're learning together, folks, as a body. We're learning together that there are things we can release and there are things we can let go of and there's a lifestyle that we can come down from in order that others might benefit and be blessed in the kingdom of God. And the beauty is we're prospering at a level that we've never prospered at before as a church. We're able to do more than we've ever done. We're able to have greater impact than we've ever had because we are being generous, not only individually, but as a body and as life church. And so I want you to understand that there's a dynamic that is going on here that is absolutely amazing. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Let's look at that one for just a moment. 31 through 35. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Next verse. Is that it? Okay. This is the only plan that God has. He doesn't have options here. Okay. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's, just, that's the given. All right. we, have, we have no other option or alternative to choose from. It's not a multiple choice plan. All right. We just... Seek the kingdom of God first. And, and he knows. He knows what we need. He knows what we have need of. And again, we don't want to get redundant. But, but let's understand that we need to evaluate in the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit's eye what is it that we really need as individuals. Are we really giving the Lord the first fruits of our time, of our energy, of our monies, all of these kinds of things? Let's close with this one. <clears throat> And uh, it really is not a downer, okay? But there's a, there's a little bit more here where he talks about discipline. And we've got to put that in, all right? 
The promise is he will bless us and he will prosper us, but he will also discipline us. Verse 11, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. There is a great divine value in God chastening us and disciplining us. And I think the chief fruit of that disciplining is not just that you are corrected or recalibrated or put on the right path, but if you, if you accept it in the right spirit, it has a message attached to it. And it is. Your Father loves you so much. So much. I remember when my children got old enough to spank. All you mercy gifted people, just just stay calm now, okay? I didn't say when they got old enough to beat. I said old enough to spank. And in our home, we spanked for some disciplinary uh, issues. All right. We corrected in other ways first. But I had three hard-headed children. So we went to extreme measures. All right. We spanked. At first, I didn't want to spank my children. I didn't I didn't want to do that. And the reason was I said to myself, they will not love me. They will not love me. And here's what I got. I got children that did not respect me. That's what I got. And the amazing thing was that when I started to spank them, now this wasn't a daily occasion, all right? This was just a once in a while sort of thing. But when I spanked them, not only did they start to respect me, they reciprocated with a greater amount of love and affection than when I didn't. That there's something about being able to communicate in the right spirit in an act of discipline. An unbelievable love. A love that says, you know what? And get this, folks, for our relationships with one another. I love you enough that I will correct you, even if it risks the relationship that we are in. And there's something amazing when God chastises you that if you will be in the right spirit, you will experience the love of the Father in a way that you never can in any other circumstance or situation. It's an unusual dynamic, but it's powerful. And I challenge you to let the discipline of God roll. All right? Be open when He disciplines you and let Him speak that to you. All right? Uh, Job says that even the righteous uh, may be allowed to suffer in some capacity. And we see that in the life of Job, don't we, in in several ways. But God also may deem it fitting to compensate for the struggles and the suffering that goes on in our lives. And Job saw that as well. Now, it didn't give Job what he originally had by any means. So we're we're not diminishing that loss and that suffering that went on. But what we're saying is that God is faithful. God is faithful. And when he is disciplining you, all right, 
in whatever way that looks, all right? We need to expect that it's going to come and embrace it and, and, and let it have its good work inside of us. And here's the reason. Uh, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Can we? I want you to understand that this is a relationship that is going on here for you. And you need to know that it's going to happen, all right? It, it's, it's going to take place, all right? It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Oh my. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? God's desire is to love you in every facet of steadfast love. And that will include him bringing discipline into your life. But he will do that in order that you may confidently say, Look at me. I am loved by my Father. I am a legitimate son or daughter of the Most High God. Jesus is my elder brother, and he has died for me that I may live eternally with them. Hallelujah. What an amazing, amazing relationship. So I want to encourage you that that a good part of your good life is when God disciplines you because that will produce the fruit of holiness and righteousness if you allow it to do so. Amen? These are the keys to good life in the kingdom of God. Amen?